This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I am Sam Carroll. Obviously it is Phil Cake Pride today off, so you've got me again after the uh, after the goalless draw at Goodison. Yesterday I'm joined by Adam Jones and Dave Prentice, who were both watching the game from home and I suppose we can get straight into it, lads. What did we make of that? One of the most boring derbies in, in history, would we say? <laughs> I don't know about the most boring in history. I've certainly seen a lot worse than that. I mean, there, there, were, chance, there were chances created. Um, you know, so Everson created the best of them. And there were moments that you could look back on. I think in the circumstances, it was as good a game as maybe we could have hoped for, given that there was no crowd there. The intensity was a little bit different. Uh, it, it was a very, very surreal and weird experience, but it's better than no derby at all, I suppose. And it was okay. You know, there are things we can look back on and we can reflect on positively. Uh, I don't want to go overboard because, yeah, it wasn't exactly a classic that we'll be talking about in years to come. In fact, it'll only be remembered largely because of the strange circumstances in which it was actually staged. But that apart, you know, there were some positive performances to look back at. Impressed by the uh, the, the fitness levels, uh, the Carlo Ancelotti. Has uh, got his team up to, and also his organisation. Having seen the starting lineup, and I have to say, put my hand up, I was concerned. You know, I thought a four-four-two against Liverpool, we'd suffer a similar fate. That maybe not in terms of results, but in terms of uh, you know, gifting possession up that we did at Chelsea. As it was, we did gift up possession, but we're all together, much more organised and much more together. Uh, so yeah, lots of ticks in the right boxes. It was okay. I enjoyed it. As I'm, I'll. I'll throw it on your toes, but did, did Everton deserve to win? Um, pfft, certainly had the better chances of the game. And I think I think you could probably say they were unlucky not to win uh, yeah. on another day. You know, one of those chances near the end. Richarlison, I, I still think he should have passed. You know, I've, I've seen a, a few people defended him and saying, oh, well, you would go for goal in that situation. And to be honest, like I might go for goal in that situation, but I still think the better option uh, should have been to pass to Iwobi, who was free on the back post. All he'd need to do is hit the ball straight and then surely it would have went in. Uh, then you've got Alisson pulling off an amazing save to deny Calvert-Lewin. And then instantly afterwards, Tom Davis, so unlucky not to find uh, the inside of the post with that effort. As I say, like nine times out of ten on another day, that's finding the inside of the post and it's going in. And suddenly we're celebrating uh, a pretty good 1-0 Everton win. I think... What's interesting about this derby is obviously the circumstances that it was played in are completely different with there being no fans and all, all that going on. But I think the way the game panned out wasn't all that different to most recent Goodison Park derbies. Uh, yeah. This is the third nil-nil in a row at Goodison. Uh, and I think in all of those games, you can say that Everton have played their match on their terms, essentially. We've tried to... Be, well, in this case, at least we've tried to be as defensively organised as possible, tried to nullify Liverpool's you know, high press and their you know, obvious attack and threat that they've got. And I think throughout the game, Everton did that fairly well. I think towards the end of the first half, maybe start of the second half, Liverpool looked like they might be trying to get a foothold in the game. But you know, by midway through the second half, that was, that was quelled uh, pretty well. I think the introduction of Sigurdsson was probably... Uh, a, a decent sort of turning point in in that case, and it got Everton back on their back on the front foot. So, all in all, I think Carlo Ancelotti, you know, as he said after the game, he was uh, he'd be quite pleased with his performance. You know, it's 
it is unlucky that one of those later chances didn't go in and you know on another day it, they might have gone in but as Preno said considering all the circumstances that Everton were playing this match in taking a point off the team who were so far away cleared at the top of the table you've got to take that as a positive and there are a lot of positives that you can take here into the Norwich game in midweek. Yeah, I mean, a nice point there about Gilfie Sigurdsson because, you know, I know he's not everyone's cup of tea, uh, but I genuinely do think he made a difference uh, when he came on. He just changed the shape of things a little bit and uh, he kept the ball very, very well and moved the ball well. Uh, and totally agree with that uh, Richarlison breakaway. I mean, he was crying out just to pull it back to Iwobi. And I know Iwobi hadn't had the best of days. A lot of that was you know, largely down to the amount of defensive work he was being asked to do uh, on that side. But it was, it was just crying out for a tap-in. But he got it on target, I suppose, you know, a different day, do something different. But the fact that we've been talking about that, you know, so Everton chances and, you know, so Everton, what might have been, indicates that it was a positive. And, of course, Anthony Gordon, you know, so made a, a successful, you know, so full Premier League debut. Um, wasn't involved enormous amount of what he did. He did well uh, and he benefited from the experience. And I suspect we'll be seeing more of him in the very near future. Yeah, obviously, Gordon was a... A surprise inclusion out, out on the on the wing, Adam. I, I, I would do kind of. I know you you've touched on it in your your analysis that you've wrote this morning, and it, it is difficult, isn't it? Obviously, playing against a team that before yesterday had only dropped points in 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 two Premier League matches. How would you assess Anthony's kind of full Premier League debut? Um, I think it would be a little bit unfair to try and assess his performance because obviously. The whole side has had three months off and we didn't know how and either side yesterday was going to be able to return to the rigours of Premier League football after so long out. And as it turned out, Evan, as we've said, were very defensively organised and I think part of that was uh, keeping the midfield as narrow as possible. Obviously, we know Liverpool like to play a sort of 4-3-3 style formation. So if we hadn't have played narrow, uh, we would have been outnumbered 2-3 to three in the uh, in central midfield. So... I think Iwobi and Gordon, in a sense, suffered similar sort of problems. Their their emphasis was drawn much more central than it would in a in a normal game, and it was focused much more defensively. Uh, I think throughout the first half, especially, I think we saw Gordon grow into the game a lot more. There were a couple of opportunities where he got himself on the ball, and uh, there were a couple of attempted through balls that were just so close to getting to their uh, intended targets if either pulled. Uh, a couple of them off, then you know maybe we could have been, we could have been you know in front in the first half even. So I, th- I, th- I don't think yesterday's game is a proper assessment of what Gordon can bring to Everton. I think it it was more of a show of trust from Ancelotti that he was even included in the first place because you know to start a 19 year old, give him his first Premier League start in a Merseyside derby after three months off, that shows. A tremendous amount of confidence from the manager in uh, a young talent. But I think the next few games, well, fingers crossed, to keep himself in the team. And over the next few games, I think we'll be able to see his talent show themselves that little bit more when we're seeing Everton on the front foot a little bit more, trying to use uh, the wide players a little bit more. I'd be interested to see if he is to stay on the left wing, for example. I'd be interested to see how he does uh, link up with Luca Dean. That could be a, a nice little partnership down that flank. So, yeah, I, I think yesterday's game, you know, it, it wasn't a true assessment of what Anthony Gordon can do, but it was an incredible occasion for him. And as Preno says, he's going to take a lot of experience from that going uh, going into the next few weeks. 
Phil Kirkbride was on, on ratings duty at Goodison yesterday, Preno, and it, it, it was the midfield that seemingly took most of the hit. I think Awobi was a four out of ten, Gomez and Davies five, and, and, and then he scored a six. Do you think all four of them, and you've touched on it with Awobi before, maybe fell victim to the roles they were asked to do, and especially, you know, you're playing top of the league, you're not really going to have a chance to show too much of your, your attacking qualities, but do you think the four midfielders, maybe now that we're looking back on it the next day, you, you know, certainly as well with some of the reaction to certainly Awobi's performance on social media, but do you think maybe a little bit of an overreaction in, in terms of, you know, they were being asked to, to sit a little bit narrower and, and contain the, the obvious threat that Liverpool have? Yeah, I mean, the, the wide players certainly suffered. Um, it's funny, actually, you talk about Phil being on racing his duty because the circumstances meant that, you know, I had to watch it, you know, I think as I've complained bitterly to so many people for the first time in 28 years on my television set rather than being a Goodison. But that meant I was able to look at Phil's ratings fairly quickly and go around the family and said, right, come on, give me your marks, give me your marks. And so they all did. And they were all pretty much, you know, uniform with Phil's. So, you know, I think most people did, think in a similar fashion as uh, to how which players performed well and which players didn't and why some players weren't as good as others certainly the wide players Anthony Gordon and Iwobi you can certainly say yes you know the way in which Everton did compact their midfield it took away on their from their effectiveness you know so they weren't able to get the ball in wide positions with space and you know so and go at players but, you know, when Iwobi did get possession, he didn't use it all that well. So yeah, I totally get the frustration about his performance. A little bit of overreaction, but that's social media for you. That'll always be the case. But where I was disappointed uh, was Andre Gomez. And I'm yeah. a huge Andre Gomez fan. You know, so he brings so much to the team when he's playing well. And I think there was there was one very, very good crossfield pass, which, um, you know, so opened up play very, very quickly. But that apart... I don't think we saw anything like the kind of quality from him that we do normally. Now, whether that is just um, a reaction to, you know, having had three months out and trying to get back up to the pace of things very, very quickly, because obviously he has been involved in games, you know, so prior to the lockdown, you know, so after recovering from that horrendous injury. So we possibly could have expected maybe a little bit more. And Tom Davis, he was very, very good in a lot of parts of his game. But other parts of the game, he gave away possession a little bit too cheaply on occasions, which is probably why, you know, so some fans, you know, so, you know, had it in the neck for him and why maybe he didn't score higher than he actually did. But overall, I was quite pleased with Tom. I, I thought, you know, so he was, you know, so the dominant, you know, half of that you know, central midfield pairing. And it was just as well he did, to be fair, because Liverpool are so strong in that area. So, yeah, there were swings and roundabouts, you know, so throughout that whole, you know, um, midfield situation. I was quite pleased to see Bernard come on. You know, so I would have liked to have seen him maybe get a little bit longer. And as we've already said, I thought Gilfie Sigerson made a difference. But I think a lot of it was down to the fact that we were playing the best side in the Premier League, by some way. And so we had to adapt our formation and our, you know, sort of outlook accordingly. I think it'll be very different at Norwich. I think uh, we'll probably pick a different lineup. And uh, those players that, you know, sort of are involved will get more opportunity to show more of what they can do. A lot of players had to, if you like, you know, sort of want to use that phrase, take one for the team uh, on Sunday. But they did so. And as a result, we got a point, which was okay, you know, in the circumstances. Um, you know, it gives us a platform in which to build on now for the next few games. Uh, so, yeah, swings and roundabouts, you know, so I can understand why some players, you know, were getting it in the neck from some supporters. But as ever, you know, so social media can be a very unforgiving environment and some of the, uh, some of the reactions were a little bit extreme. From, from someone who's kind of seen 
that immediate reaction that Andre Gomez had when he when he was brought in by Marco Silva. Adam and, and Adpreno saying we all know how good he is. And he, he is dealing with this kind of comeback from, from a horrific injury. But in, in the kind of next season, next 12 to 18 months, if we are to continue playing a 4-4-2, what, what kind of role do you think Carlo has for him in the middle there? Is it box-to-box? Is it more deep-lying? But what, what midfielder do you want to see Andre Gomez become under Carlo Ancelotti? I think you'd have to see him more as a, a kind of box-to-box sort of player. And I think he's another one where uh, the system didn't allow him to show off, you know, the kind of talents that Preno was talking about. I think his job in a, in yesterday's game was essentially to shield uh, the back four as well as he could. And I think him and Tom Davis actually work quite well in doing that. I think despite Liverpool having, I think, what was it, 70% possession, they didn't really do all that much with it. I think most of their passing was... Uh, sideways or backwards they didn't find many penetrating sort of passes through the middle uh, and I think that was down largely to the fact that Andre Gomez and Tom Davis were performing so well uh, I think Gomez one one particular moment for Gomez I think he was he was the man who won the ball back just before Calvert-Lewin and Tom Davis's chances before the end as well so you know if you can show off those kinds of if he can show off those kinds of attributes more often, then he could perhaps work as a more deep-lying player. But I just don't think that's uh, that's where we're going to see the best out of Andre Gomez because, you know, admittedly, you do want to see him marauding forward with the ball, playing those passes uh, through to our forward players. You want to see him maybe getting on the score sheet a little bit more himself as well. You want you Essentially, you want him in and around the opposition box more than you want him in and around your own box. Uh, so I'd, I'd like to see him as a box-to-box sort of midfielder himself, but I think you need a more defensive player next to him. I think, as Preno said, Tom Davis actually filled that role quite well yesterday, and I think he's filled that role quite well next to Gomez uh, on a couple of occasions this season, I think notably West Ham at home. Uh, those two waiters have paired him really well with Iwobi just in front of them. So, you know, in a 4-4-2, it will be a bit more of a struggle, I think, to see Gomez transform himself into a box-to-box uh, midfielder. But I think I think it's still quite clear, you know, with the options that we've got at the minute, uh, Andre Gomez is probably Everton's best central midfielder and Ancelotti will know that. And I think the majority of our games for the rest of the season, I think we will uh, be attacking teams uh, a little bit more over the course of the next few weeks. And I think that's probably where we're going to expect to see a little bit more from Gomez in that sense. So... Again, I, I, I find it hard to judge Gomez on that performance in particular. I think he did his job uh, yesterday, but I'd like to see more from him in the future. One of the most uh, interesting parts of the game yesterday as well, and something else that you've touched on in that analysis, Adam, but was anyone else kind of sat shouting at the television post 60 minutes about why we were only making one substitution? Any <laughs> Famous Carlo, eyebrow raised, Preno. I'd, I'd only making that one change of, of Gilfie Sigurdsson before the, the 88th minute where, you know, and then Bernard came on and, and Keane came on and hardly touched it. So, you know, to have nine, Liverpool used their full allowance of, you know, three substitute breaks and, and, and even made one at half time. So for us to only really use use one un, until that 88th minute, a, a bit strange. Does, does that hint at a lack of faith in the options he had, or was it more preserving that that game plan, do you think? 
No, it, it depends entirely at the personnel he had available. I mean, yeah. when you can only name two, when you can name two goalkeepers on your subs bench because you haven't got resources elsewhere, that that speaks volumes. I mean, uh, he didn't make any changes defensively because Everton were doing well defensively. I mean, uh, all four back there, you know, sort of played very, very solidly and very well. Seamus Coleman was outstanding, you know, so that there was absolutely no need to make any changes there. So any switches were going to be further forward. Now, again, Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison, for me, were the absolute standout performers. I thought both played very, very well. Uh, so, you know, midfield, you know, he made this guilty Sigerson switch, you know, so as we've said, and I, that was positive and that was effective. Bernard, I might have been, you know, sort of inclined to have seen him a little bit earlier than we did. But, you know, so Everton were doing okay at the time. So it's a combination of things, really. It's just the fact that the personnel he had available uh, were in the areas of the pitch where Everton were doing okay. Um, you know, so midfield where he might have made changes. There weren't that many options available to him. So I think that was all it is. I mean, whether we'll see anything different here for Wednesday, you know, whether Fabian Delph will be available again, I don't know. Um, but, you know, I suspect it might be a similar situation uh, looking forward for the next few games. Um, I mean, he's already said, Carlo, that the reason we didn't play any friendlies you know, before the uh, the season restarted is because he didn't want to pick up any further injuries. It's going to be a very, very difficult uh, time to manage the squad at the moment. Uh, there's a lot of games coming thick and fast in a short period of time and there are fairly depleted resources already. So, you know, Carlo's going to have to be quite canny and quite clever at the way he juggles his resources. Uh, so I think we may see, you know, so changes, you know, so infrequently, you know, so as we go forward. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Adam, as, as Everton were growing into the game, as, as Preno's kind of touched on it, would, would you have maybe just... Took a Wobi off a little bit earlier, brought Bernard in, maybe even even Moise Keane, or, or do you think that, that the the substitutions were obviously handled well now that we've got the point? Um, to be honest, I'd find it hard to uh, argue with Carlo Ancelotti in terms of <laughs> uh, time of substitutions, so I'm going to presume he, he can uh, pull rank and he can tell me that uh, those were the right times to make those changes, and to be honest, I think I can I can see why the, those changes were made at those times. I think uh, Gordon uh, had played well, as I, as I said. I think he'd done his job quite well. But as I've also said, I think Gilfie Sigurdsson uh, did really use the ball well when he came on. I think he was tidy in possession. There were a good amount of through balls from him as well. So I think that substitution was probably for the best. And then but in terms of the other substitutions, I think it will be, while he might not have been the kind of effective force that we want him to be going forward. Uh, I think defensively he was he was pretty solid in front of Seamus Coleman. I think Seamus Coleman, you know, he won Sky's man of the match and I find it hard to disagree with that. I think he was absolutely fantastic. But I think it will be in front of him was solid as well in terms of, you know, defensively. So, you, you, like, you worry if you were to bring on Bernard a little bit sooner for a Wobie, is that going to change the defensive balance a little bit too much uh obviously we didn't because because the change happened so late i don't think we uh, really got a chance to see whether that was going to be the case or not and in in fairness to bernard i don't think he really got an opportunity to show how much of a difference he can make going forward either obviously moise keen got uh, even less of a chance in that sense but as Breno said, going forward, I think we'll probably see Carlo use those five substitutions a little bit more frequently, uh, not only as players are returning to fitness, you know, with the likes of 
yeah, you mean uh, Fabian Delph, Theo Walcott, has, of course, has still got to come back to full fitness. So we'll have more options to bring off the bench. But I think you just can't have three months off as a footballer and then come back and play 90 minutes on Sunday and then 90 minutes on Wednesday and then 90 minutes on Saturday as it's going to be for the rest of the season. You know, we've got Norwich coming up already on Wednesday. Uh, I think a number of Everton's players towards the end of yesterday's game were looking pretty leggy and pretty tired. Uh, so they'll have, you know, a hard work ahead of them to try and recover properly for potentially another 90 minutes against Norwich on Wednesday evening. So we might see a few changes in the starting lineup. I think we might see uh, a few more substitutions getting used. And uh, it's going to be how, how well Carlo manages those changes uh, in the future, which could be key for you know what, what we want to go on and achieve for the rest of this season. And Adam's just trying to answer the, the next part, but I was going to say that Phil plumped for Mason Holgate, man of the match. It was it was seemingly a toss-up between Mason Holgate and, and Seamus Coleman, the skipper. Who would you have uh, gone for if you were on ratings duty last night? Um, tough call. I mean, I, I totally endorse uh, his high ratings for both of those players. Uh, you know, yeah. so Mason showed you know real leadership qualities again. And, you know, clearly I wasn't inside the stadium, but from what I've read and what I've gleaned, it sounded like you could hear how vocal he was throughout that game. And, you know, so how much he was directing things around him, um, you know, which again, you know, so a massive, you know, sort of tick in his, uh, his box. Both very, very good on the day. But personally, I'd have gone for a Richarlison. Um, I just thought, you know, he makes so many things happen and, you know, he, he makes the difference I mean, uh, the only chance of the first half was down to, you know, sort of him, you know, his creativity and his pace. Uh, you know, the, the second half chances came from him. We've already talked about how he could have done a little bit differently with the one that, you know, sort of Alisson saved. But I just think he's so important to everything Everson do going forward. And, uh, you know, I totally understand. I wouldn't disagree with Phil, you know, sort of saying Mason or Seamus with the man of the match. And because it was such a, a backs to the wall job for a lot of the time, that's probably why they got the nod. But I just think he's so important, Richarlison, and growing in importance all the time in, in what he does uh, to help us open the game up. Uh, that I'd have personally plumped for him. But then again, you know, so I'm an old Sunday League centre forward, so I'm always going to look at the, uh, <laughs> the defenders. <laughs> I think it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because a lot of the, I, I know a lot of my feeling going into this derby was hoping that Everton's best players before lockdown would be able to. You know, hit the ground running and try and recreate that form as soon as possible afterwards. And, you know, in, when you're talking in terms of young players, in that sense, you're thinking of the likes of Holgate, Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin. And I think all three of them, you know, they, obviously they showed some rust from not being on a Premier League football pitch for a good, a good three months. But I think in general, all three of them returned to the kind of form that we can be expecting. Uh, I think Holgate in particular was... You know, as you said, he showed some amazing leadership qualities. I think he was big physical presence at the back. You know, he was comfortable on possession as well. Uh, he he would be a worthy man of the match. I wouldn't argue with you saying Richarlison would be man of the match either because, as you say, you know, his creative qualities uh, were on full display in this match. And, you know, he'd, he'd set himself up to fail a little bit, hadn't he, with his, uh, with his Van Dyke comments. But thankfully, uh, well, he didn't quite live up to them uh, in terms of scoring but I think he gave Van Dijk a real, a real tough time uh, in yesterday's game so he can be quite proud of himself for that and uh, Calvert-Lewin 
you know, as hardworking and industrious as we might expect. You know, I think uh, over the next few weeks, fingers crossed, he can get himself back on the score sheet and, you know, we might see uh, the goals tumbling for them again. So, yeah, I think, it, you know, especially in terms of young players that were doing so well before lockdown, it's really good to see them uh, hitting the ground running again. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting you say about the young players. There, I saw a stat somewhere yesterday that that was the youngest Derby lineup that Everson have selected since I think it was 1982. Um, and there was there seven or eight players who were 24 and under uh, compared to Liverpool, who had you know so seven or eight players who were 27, 28. Um, so I know there's a balance, you know. So all good teams have a balance of experience and youth, uh, but for Everson to have so many players and to trust so many young players in a, a fixture of such magnitude, uh, it's got to be, you know, so quite a positive, you know, something to be optimistic about. The fact that Carla was willing to trust so many young players and the fact that so many of those young players actually justified that faith he had in them as well uh, was good. So, you know, we'll see more. I mean, uh, Anthony Gordon was, you know, given his debut and I think he's been brought in with a view to seeing how he can do between now and the end of the season. And I think we can, you know, so safely assume that he will be in the first team squad, you know, so mix for next season. And then there's other young players who've already proved that they are capable of doing that. So all in all, yeah, there's plenty to be optimistic about, which we can't always say about derby matches. And if feels like we've kind of went through most of the team here so far, but, but one person I can thought about after the game yesterday, it was a, it was a quietly pleasing evening for, for Jordan Pickford, I thought. There was, there was a few bits to deal with, you know, came out and, you know, was, was strong early. There was a cross, I remember him kind of punching away and, and made a, a pretty decent tip over the bar from Trent Alexander-Arnold. But is that more the performance we, we need to see from from Pickford towards the end of the season now, if he's to kind of get these critics off his off his back a little bit, yeah. we, we spoke about this, didn't we, about a week or so ago? Where you know, I think I mused that maybe the absence of a crowd will work in Jordan Pickford's favour uh, yeah. because you know that desire to get involved and that desire to be emotional uh, might just be tempered a little bit, you know, so by the lack of crowd inside stadiums. Um, or maybe I'm doing him a disservice. You know, maybe he is just you know learning to concentrate more during matches. I thought it was quite ironic that you know so the commentators on television are making a big deal about Allison making that really good save from Dominic Calvert-Lewin's flick. The very best goalkeepers they say have little to do, and then produce a great save like that. Well, equally, Jordan Pickford had very very little to do, but what he did, he did very well. And there were a couple of yeah, you know, difficult and you know awkward uh, balls under his crossbar and testing crosses which he handled well. Kicking was okay as well; could have been a little bit better on occasions. But no, all in all, Jordan Pickford did very, very well. But like I said before, I'm a fan. I, I don't think he deserves anything like the uh, the level of criticism he's had uh, on occasions. He's a young goalkeeper who's still learning his trade, and uh, he's learning, you know, as he goes along and doing so quite well. I think. Mm. Well, it's interesting. I think that he had a quiet afternoon in terms of. Action, maybe. I think, you know, you mentioned that uh, tip over from Trent. I think he made a good save from a free kick in the first half as well, which he did well to which he did well to gather rather than turn around the post for, for, a, for a potential corner for Liverpool. I think that was quite good. But uh, while he was quiet in terms of action, I think what I noticed watching without crowd noise this time was just how loud he, he actually is. He's just constantly shouting, at, not even just the defence, he was constantly shouting up to Richarlison every time he was going up for a header with Van Dyke saying, well in Richie, you know, encouraging encouraging even the strikers to get get up and close down and stuff like that. You know, I think and I think that, you know, that sort of leadership from the back, I think that's 
that's got to be confidence building, especially for the defence in front of him to constantly hear his voice behind them. You know, it, it must be some sort of reassuring presence that he he seems well aware of the situation around him. He seems in control. And uh, as you say yesterday, I think uh, it was, while well, it was a quiet display from him, I think everything he did was very good. I think it was a very measured performance. And you know, if he can recreate those kind of displays from now until the end of the season, then you know, I think he's building himself a great platform to uh, to kick on even further in the future. And just to kind of finish off there, a couple of little little tidbits, but it looks like Morgan Schneiderlin is uh, is closing in on a move to Nice. He's, he's passed the medical there, Preno, and, and the latest update that we had last night was that, you know, it, it, all that needs to be kind of agreed now is a, is, is a fee and, and he will move on. A strange legacy that he'll leave at Everton from that kind of Rolls Royce midfield that we we watched in that second half of the first Cumin season to to what this is. But I think we spoke about him a couple of weeks ago, and it seems like this is definitely the right move for for both parties, isn't it? Talking about Rolls Royce, Ford, Ford Cortina and Mark Two. Um, <laughs> no, he was he, he was decent for half a season. You know, let's not get carried away. I think the big problem with Morgan Schneider is being consistency. Um, you know, he has on occasions produced very good performances, which is why he got a move to a club like Manchester United, which is why you know he got a move to Everton. We just haven't seen it anywhere near often or consistently enough to warrant you know sort of any degree of confidence in what we might see from him. So I think it's best for all parties concerned. Um, I don't want to be too critical or, you know, so make my comments to be too cheap, you know, so about uh, his time at Everton. I think he'll just be a shrug your shoulders like, yeah, he was okay. You know, so we saw some decent moments from him, some not so decent. Uh, as a result, you want a lot more, you know, so for a man who's on the salary that he's on at Everton. So I think it suits all parties, to be honest, if he moves on, if we can get a transfer fee for him, great. Um, if not, we're saving a significant chunk of wages, which hopefully we can, you know, sort of use elsewhere. And then he will presumably get, you know, some more regular first-team football in his native country. You know, presumably he'll want to have moved back there eventually. So, yeah, I think it's good for all parties concerned. And then we can look to move on and augment that area of the squad this summer. A strange one as well, Adam. With kind of, I mean, Ben Beningham on the bench yesterday now. So it looks like you know, for the for the last few games of the season. We probably will be a little a little thin in that area. You know, we need Fabian Delft to come back. Do you think it's a, an area that Carlo could experiment in? Could we even see some other young faces? Could we see a Deneran? Could we see Markello as you know, with the games coming thick and fast? Yeah, I think I'd like to. I think if if you're not gonna if you're not gonna play them now in, you know, these sorts of circumstances, you know, as as I've previously said, with the amount of games that we've got coming thick and fast. I think we're going to have to use as much of the squad as we possibly can just to try and keep players fresh and to try and keep performance levels as high as possible going into these matches. And, you know, I think I've spoken a few times on this podcast about how much I like Dennis Adenner and in particular, I think he's really impressed me most times that I've gone to watch the under-23s. And, you know, he's not just played in centre mid, but we signed him as a striker. He can play... On the wing, he's played fullback. Even you know, he's so so versatile. He's got he's got so much about him. I'd really like to see him given a chance in particular. Benny Biningami, of course, is a player that you know he uh, got his got his chance. When was it in twenty seventeen? Something like that. First yeah. got, first got his opportunity in the first team, and he looked really impressive when he when he got those chances. Uh, 
things haven't maybe kicked on in the way he might have liked since then. But he's still he's still a player with you know bags of potential and a lot of quality about him. So yeah, you know, I wouldn't be averse to see him given another opportunity uh, from now until the end of the season. So you know, as, as Preno says, I think it's it's probably for the best for all parties that Morgan Schneiderlin does move on. I think he was he was a frustrating player at best during his time at Everton just because he could put in a, a really good performance, you know, a, a good nine out of ten performance one week and then the next week it just looks like he's breezing through the game and the game's just going by him. And there were too often times when uh, that was the case. So I don't think he was a reliable player that Everton could count on on a consistent basis. So as Prano says, to get a fee for him, to get his wages off the book, I think it just works best for all parties because he's going to go and you know, get uh, a bit more first-team football as well. And for us, it does give us the chance to maybe give uh, these youngsters a bit of a run-out, which yeah, I think you know, the, the occasion kind of calls. I think we've seen with Gordon, of course, the, the occasion kind of calls for this if, the, uh, if these youngsters are good enough. And I think Everton do certainly have a couple of youngsters in particular that I think are good enough. Yeah, it's probably good to try to see them introduced before the season finishes. Although, I was quite interested in the uh, the, the feature in the uh, the match day program um, yesterday. And fair play to Everton for producing a program, uh, you know, for a, a match held in circumstances like that. Uh, but they interviewed uh, Mason Holgate. And uh, he was very, very bullish about his ability to play central midfield if required. <laughs> uh, you, get, you get the impression that he really enjoyed that experience uh, at Old Trafford earlier this season. And, uh, you know, so more than happy to do so again. But having said that, I think we'd rather see uh, some of the uh, the younger up-and-coming talent given that opportunity first. And, of course, Everton's lack of uh, cover in central defence predicates against that anyway. We haven't got <laughs> anybody else that can play centre-back at the moment. So I think we need to keep Mason Holgate fit for central defensive duties. Is, is, kind of, is Schnarren also, though, a departure from... I always felt with him that he looked very good when, you know, Everton looked good and he just had to kind of move the ball on a little bit and and not really get his hands dirty, but some of his his, his really poor performances that were, that were picked apart did come at a time when we were struggling. Sometimes he, he felt like, to me, he didn't have the the attitude, the the, the stomach for a fight. Is, is that the kind of character that Everton have to try and move away from and, and, and try and get some more personalities in this squad who are willing to, to roll the sleeves up and, and get stuck in Preno? Yeah, we, we don't know is a simple answer. I mean, we don't see, you know, what he produces on the training pitch, but obviously we can reflect back on that, you know, sort of unfortunate incident involving him and Kevin Morales, which gave you a little insight into, you know, the kind of character that he maybe is. And, you know, I know he's spoken out about it himself, but he claims that, you know, uh, he was misunderstood and what happened that day and he didn't walk off the training pitch, but we've heard otherwise. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You can only go on the evidence that you see on match days. And to me, yeah, we just didn't see enough character and enough strength of character. Often enough, there were occasions, you know, when you wanted him to step up to the plate a little bit more and he did go missing or, you know, so he did appear not to be giving, you know, so absolutely everything that we wanted from him. Other occasions, yeah, he was absolutely outstanding, but they were few and far between. So, yeah, I mean, cut our losses in one, I think. You know, so like I said at the start, it, it's good for all parties concerned. He'll get regular football, you know, so a club where, you know, hopefully he'll be appreciated and we can lock elsewhere. And, uh, you know, so try and, you know, find a better, younger quality player with maybe different, you know, qualities and a different uh, character set, shall we say. 
just to just to finish that, Matt, how many times uh, have you had to write an article confirming a contract extension and a permanent transfer in the same <laughs> in the same article? Martin Stecklenberg will stay with Everton until the end of this kind of elongated season, but then he's he's heading back to Ajax and a a nice move for him to be able to return to to Holland and, and kind of give after a few years of of, of handy service to Everton. Yeah, for, yeah. I mean, it, it will it will be nice to him to, to have that uh, move back to Ajax. I think he spent nine years at Ajax uh, earlier on in his career, and you know was very successful there during his time there. So yeah, it will be really nice for him. I think it's another it's another occasion of Everton, you know, get another get another player off the books. Uh, he was a solid solid signer. I think everybody when they think of Martin Stecklenberg and Everton, they'll probably always remember that trip to Man City where he saved two penalties in the same game. Which, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, that, that's not a bad thing to be remembered for, of course. So, you know, he, he'll, he'll leave Everton with uh, the best wishes of, you know, all the fans and his teammates. And, you know, after a, a solid a solid four-year spell, was it? Like, four, those four years seem to have absolutely flown by with him there. But, yeah, solid, solid little split spell here. And, uh yeah, all, all the best for him in the future. Well, thank you very much for, for joining us today. We've we've got an action-packed week here at the Echo. We're, we're Everton back in action on Wednesday against Norwich City and we will look to return before that to preview that game. But thank you very much for listening to us. Picking apart the Mayside derby, hopefully we will pick up our first three points of the return later on this week. You can always get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook at the Royal Blue Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.